James. Morning, Duncan. How are you today? Uh, it's 7.30 this morning, so we're going a little bit easy on ourselves this, on Sundays. So I'm feeling not as fried as normally at this part of the week. So yeah, normally, like, it depends. Like, I didn't go out last night, but I, I went out on Friday, shall I say. Um, and <laughs> I, my alarm went off, so I'm normally not sleeping in until 7.30. Um, I'm normally getting up at 6 during the week. But I, I was like, slept in my alarm harder. Where am I? What's going on? And like, and like, oh, and I'm like, oh, God, why did I agree to do a podcast? James said we could do it at 9 a.m. Why did I say 7 30 a.m.? This is stupid. I'm going to sleep. But, anyways, um, we'll make it work. All right. So, today, um, we're talking about, oh, this is the thing. Who do you admire the most in the world um, and why? Have you thought about this or not really? Like I, I think about this at, at different times and it's a different answer, right? Yeah, so, okay. you know, you can you can ask me on a certain day and I'll say my wife or my girls or no, you say Duncan and then Duncan, <laughs> <laughs> Duncan, and for this reason, Duncan for this reason, Duncan for many reasons. I don't know, sometimes, on, sometimes I admire myself for the uh, patience and deference for putting up with Duncan all the time. <laughs> I admire myself <laughs> for many reasons. <laughs> I am definitely the best person. <laughs> I know. Okay, go. Yeah. But um, like first, the first serious answer that comes to mind at the moment is actually Jordan Peterson. So big oh, surprise there. But it's really about what he's going through with the the the, the psychology disloyalty. I don't know what the real name is in Canada. Um, yeah. And but yeah, so basically they're saying that he has to go through a whole bunch of um, remediation training, social media uh, training. Mm. Uh, if not, he'll lose his license. And he uh, basically is saying, you know, bring it on and I'm going to put everything out to the public for you to see. And he's taking on a lot, he's risking a lot, and it would be a huge burden for him to go through. At least that's what I'm, um, that's what I'm reading from him. So that, that, for me, takes a lot of courage and I admire him for that. What about you? Yeah, okay. So maybe we're going off on a tangent to the initiative. So I, I actually donate to Peterson, um, and donate to a bunch of people. Um, and so they're, they're so like, I probably agree with 50% of what Peterson says and don't agree with 50% of what he says. But I think he's an important voice and that the, you know, p traditional publishers appear to be uh, frankly, like bullied into, you know, submission <laughs> um, on a lot of topics. Um, and so I, that's why I donate um, to him. I don't actually know how many people donate, but I would presume quite a few. And so I suppose what I would hope is that, because in the past, you know, um, when, you know, the, the whole, like, where they were wanting to compel people to say pronouns, um, what, he, what I understand he says is he's fine to say whatever pronoun you want. He just doesn't want to be forced by the government to be saying things. And mm -hmm. from my perspective, I think that's reasonable. I think the free speech laws are very important. And then he's standing up for free speech as opposed to having an ideological view against pronouns or something. Um, <clears throat> and that we need people to be able to do that, but that we've seen many people have publishers, so um, advertisers pull their advertising um, in such circumstances, um, because in my opinion, there are extremists <laughs> on the left who go and effectively 
protests to the point where these people lose business from from whatever their thing is um and so they, they they feel like they're basically forced into it so anyways i donate to him for that reason um this is getting off track look the top five for sure would include mark andreessen um and i don't it's, it's hard to say and again different points different reasons um but if i was to want to have like a dinner with somebody to talk um i i feel like um but in like Elon's life is very interesting <laughs> and perhaps a lot of own goals from this, you know, there's a lot going on um, and I'd like to talk about rockets or whatever else it is, but Andreessen, I feel like has a broader depth of understanding of the world, um, whether it's say politics or sociology than Elon in my mind. And part of that is probably because being a venture capitalist, he is talking to startups all the time. And not just any venture capitalist. Um, in my opinion, the best <laughs> one. Um, like you know, Andreessen Horowitz is sort of you know top five uh, sort of you know VC firm for me. Um, and I think Andreessen the best known. And so I think almost all of the good startups when wanting to raise would probably speak to Andreessen Horowitz. So they probably get to see everything, right? More than anything else. And him as a partner. And more than that, he sort of knows. So he's educated um, to a belief to an area belong beyond. To me, anybody else I, I hear talking, he's just like, "How do you know everything?" <laughs> uh, so, in terms of having an interesting conversation, um, probably Andreessen is up there as my favorite at the moment. Well, I would certainly like to be at that dinner table listening to Andreessen and Duncan, Andreessen going, and <laughs> who are the two fastest talkers I know, and so it would just be a, a personal challenge to see how long I could keep up for. Oh. <laughs> Um, okay, so do, do you have similar things with Andreessen? So anyway, where did this come from? And look, Andreessen, we'll put the link in into the a podcast, was on um, Huberman's podcast. And he was talking in it about one point about what uh, he thinks makes a good entrepreneur. And I feel like Andreessen, having been an entrepreneur, you know, started with Netscape, um, Opsware, now Andreessen Horowitz, as well as, you know, Andreessen Horowitz being a venture fund, so funding entrepreneurs, is someone who's particularly well place to have a view on this. <laughs> um, and he defaulted to using the big five personality traits or so part of that to try to explain this. So I thought the first part was like, what did he say? And just so we can try to understand that. Um, and then whether we agree or not. Um, and so to me, like, first of all, um, what are the big five personality traits? Um, and what does the current data say? And the data says that of these big five, about 50% for the average person, where you are is 50% inherited and 50% built. And I want to be very clear that the average person to me doesn't mean the, the greatest people. The greatest people are doing a lot more booting of themselves. And so I'm typically far more interested in the most, you know, amazing people than I am. I am also very interested in what average is, just because I want to understand. But that doesn't mean that, that you know, okay, you're, everyone's 50% inherited, 50% not inherited. If you want to build yourself, you can make that 50%, that starting point, much less in my opinion. So, so in most areas, you get a starting point that's equal for everybody. But in say five areas, you don't. You have a starting point that is not the same point, but that is just your starting point. And it can move if you want to do the effort to train it. Just so you can learn maths, you might start off very low on the introversion versus extroversion thing. You might be more introverted, but you can change and yourself. I'm going to pause there. Do you want to go to the big five, James? Because I've crept yeah. too long. Yeah. So, so let's just like, um, you know, summarize it as when asked to make what makes a good entrepreneur, Mike Andreessen, you know, uses the big five traits um, mm. to as a rubric. And so given the, that 
uh, you know, research has suggested evidence points to these traits being inheritable to a degree. Forty to sixty percent is the general range for the, the average person. The, for the okay. average person, um, I would say uh, there is a starting point that's different for these. This is one yeah. where I would agree. That does not mean that it is your life sentence, and no matter what, where you start is is just yeah. what it's going to be. Yeah, it's it is also um, worth highlighting that Duncan spent the better part of his twenty year old life arguing that he was the most average person ever. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I love that you want to help people, and so you therefore so there's two things that's really interesting. You want to um, I think hopefully build yourself. Also, some people want to be Olympians. Like as in, you know, win the gold medal for whatever running. Um, I, I want to be a mental Olympian. I want to be the best at what I do intellectually. Um, and not everyone wants to do that, and that's totally fine. But I also think that hopefully quite a lot of people want to be the best at what they're doing in the world. Um, and so to me, this means you want to build yourself to be great. But the other one is normally the goal is to help people. And so if you want to help people, normally you need to understand them. <laughs> so it's to try to, it's just, I think, build yourself to be as great as possible and then build yourself to empathize as much as possible, which is like a different level of like development and growth. It's not just like, okay, I want to be great at mathematics. I need to be great at hopefully understanding the broader swathe of people. Um, so that's sort of this sort of dipo- uh, dichotomy. Build yourself to be extraordinarily good at something, but build yourself to understand people as well as possible. Um, and I think that's a kind of nice way to be. Yeah. So going back to big five is the five personality traits that uh, have been used to describe a set of inputs that can explain a certain person's set of personalities. Now, when you ask to describe yourself in any different type of turn, they say there's a list of up to 4,000 different personalities. This is generally used as the, the highest abstraction of all of those different types. And so that's why it is most heavily researched in different uh, psychological circles and people often refer back to it. So those five traits are openness, which is, you know, you're more creative, open to trying new things, happy to think about abstract concepts, conscientiousness, high levels of thoughtfulness, uh, impulse you control. Just, um, James, do the spectrum, because while they normally use the one word openness, I, I often find like the one mm. end, because it's, it's meant to be like, as what I understand as a spectrum, and whereas most areas you start at the same point, like, well, there's nothing that you have to build. These ones, it's kind of more a spectrum. Um, and I find it useful to think of it that way. Oh, yeah. So I can try with, like, so openness versus closeness. Uh, so mm. like, how how susceptible are you to new experiences, I was think, versus someone who would be much more comfortable, um, you know, re- resorting back to what they already know and having consistency and reliability as their, um, you know, core drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, conscientiousness. So, for me, this like it's it's really level of organization versus someone who likes to do things on the fly and be impulsive. Um, extroversion versus introversion, probably the easiest. Just another way. that conscientiousness is like how organized somebody is, how much of a perfectionist mm-hmm. somebody is. So, yes. if you, for instance, being on time, <laughs> um, or for instance, I don't know, going over to someone's house and there being um, everything in its place. You go to my house, um, there's not clean days and not clean days. There is the same thing every day. <laughs> you go to my brother's house and it is a different story. Um, there's no right here. Um, but what I could say is that it grates on me um, that perhaps things are not in a place. It's more called like, let's get all of the things in the cupboards and let's pull them out of the cupboards and put them on the floor. Yeah. Um, why, why keep things in cupboards when there's perfectly good floor space 
upon which you could put them. Mm. Um, so, there's, there, there is conscientiousness, and then there's OCD, Duncan. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm OCD, but like, I'm like, the cupboard has a purpose. The cupboard's job <laughs> is to keep the clothes in it, you know? Having a bin, it, its job is where you put the rubbish. You know, just decide to put the rubbish on all of the bench space, you know? Yeah, this, um, this, is, this is why Duncan's got to be such a great parent. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's like, um, I don't know, my mother, like, we, we, we went to um, New Zealand. Um, she missed the flight. Um, so, um, or she, they, they technically closed the gate. I had to stand there and make friends with the gate and kept the gate open 10 minutes longer than what they normally would. And so the rest of the family were on the plane. And that if my mother didn't come on the plane, that would be not a very good holiday. And they were very generous and kept the plane open. But so to me, um, I don't really mind if you're like 10 minutes late to dinner, you know, if, it, if it's like whatever, a social thing. But if I mind if you miss the flight, <laughs> it's not, that's like a level of conscientiousness. Um, it's a bit annoying. So yeah, yeah. Uh, next one is agreeableness. So how how open and susceptible are you to uh, you know agree with others, or do you really, uh, I guess, stake your claim on your own inputs and beliefs and opinions? So are you someone who like would be happy to go with the uh, the group or the crowd's um, you know direction, or do you? yourself more as someone who would rather do things their own way mm -hmm. and, and the last one is neuroticism so prone to sadness moodiness emotional instability um you know just general duncanness basically um oh. or uh, <laughs> or are you generally more positive upbeat um you know optimistic i would say so those are the five um and if you ever need help remembering them ocean is a good acronym for openness conscientiousness extroversion agreeableness Neuroticism. It's a mnemonic. Um, so neuroticism, I, you know, the, one of the ways it's described here is a slightly bit different. So like, the one is like the shamelessness, um, fearlessness. Another one is like emotional, um, you know, like highly um, emotionally. So people call this an empath. Empaths are like very good at feeling others, you know, feelings or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, cool. All right. So I, I, I think if you go through, so... I suppose I'm generally much more of the of the school like built not born, and thinking so you know whether or not you are determined or determinism versus free will. I think it's much better to think that you have free will. But then I also sort of have kind of believed like I didn't choose to be born, I didn't choose to go to school, I didn't choose what I was learning at school, you know. And so it's like you have not made necessarily a lot of important decisions. You know, you did not choose to go to university at the time. You did not choose to get married. You did not choose to have children. So these are all the most important decisions in your life. You might have chosen who to marry and how many children to have, but you didn't choose that you're going to get married and have children, you know. And then you're going to do the same thing: send them to school without their choice, and they're going to learn things that they didn't choose to learn, you know. And on and on the cycle goes, you know. Uh, so, um, to me. I have seen, so, and this is one of the things that I'm thinking about this a bit is, you know, my nieces, and I'm trying to understand the differences between them, and I'm trying to understand them through the lens of what, you know, data there is, not just like making it up myself, but trying to stand on the shoulders of those who've come before. Um, but also looking at the people that I think I know well enough to, to have a view, I'm like, okay, well, based on these big five personality traits, where do people sit, right? And so I thought we could have a bit of fun. Do you want to do where you think I sit on these and we're being nice, James. And do I want to do where you sit on these things? And who wants to go first? All right, you ready? Paper, scissors, rock? Ready? All uh, right. Oh, can you do paper, scissors, rock, lizard, spock? Or are you just a simple I don't even know what lizard, spock is. <laughs> uh, paper, right, scissors, rock, right? All right. Paper, paper scissors, 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 rock. rock. 
Ah, oh, come on. Paper, scissors, scissors rock. rock. Yes, uh, I mean, all right. So that mean, what does that mean? I mean, I get to do you first. All right. So, so I'm just going to do it with the ones that I'm seeing here. So, neuroticism, um, fearlessness, shamelessness. I'm going to put you in the middle, which is a bit annoying. It's a bit of a cop out. Um, and so, no, no, so you, you got to go more one way than the other. All right. No middle. Uh, okay, but like, so, so like conscientiousness. I would say that I'm like 80 percent up the sort of perfectionist workaholism end, right? And right, that my you, parents, you do know that you're talking about me, Duncan, not Duncan talking about himself. <laughs> no, but, but like my brother and my mother, I'd put up 80% the other end or 20%, you know, up this, right? And so it's, it's not like binary. Um, okay, so you have to do more. So neuroticism, look, I'd say marginally more on the fearless, shameless style, but you're not like hardcore up that end. Extroversion, um, I'd say you're on the, the more extroverted end. Openness, um, so I do think you're open to, to new ideas um, and that you are flexible. Um, agreeableness. I'd say, oh, because you and I, it, it depends, because I've seen you, again, like different people, like I don't disagree with randoms normally, but with people like James um, and people that I'm closer to or people that like, um, I don't know, at work, like we're there to try to make a difference to the world, not to agree with each other, <laughs> Jane. Uh, and so I would say, that's, but in my experience, you and I, but is that because of me? So I would say that I'm probably on the more disagreeable end of things. Um, and in general, uh, around with that, but I don't think you're as, as, as disagreeable as I am. <laughs> um, and then there is conscientiousness. And I would say that you are more up the, you know, con conscientious side. So perfectionism, workaholism, over. What do you think? Um, interesting. So you thought I would more open, um, and I would agree with that. Conscientiousness, like, I'm going to get into this a little bit later on, but I probably would like rate myself lower than what you rate me. Extroversion, I would actually say I'm more towards the other end of the spectrum. Like I get more energy. Yeah, I get more energy from just like studying something, reading, listening to Elon Musk's audiobook, or you know those kind of things. But obviously, I, I also get really really um uh, you know i really enjoy interactions like this with you duncan where we get to sit down and talk about interesting topics like this or i get really um you know excited by hanging out with my girls or those kind of areas um but if i go to a networking event i have to like force myself to talk to people if i go to work i'm just like yeah hey how was your weekend oh yeah no good let's get let's get to work kind of <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> sit around the water cooler um agreeableness yeah, I would say I'm more disagreeable, less disagreeable than Donkey Boy. And last one is neuroticism. I think I am consistently uh, the, the other end of the spectrum. I think I wake up with a pretty sunny disposition and I'm generally um, you know, positive and optimistic in situations on a daily basis. Hmm. All right, what All am right. I? Duncan's turn. So... I'm going to start with the easier ones and I'm going to work my way up to the hard ones. <laughs> but the other one is that this, like, I think different people bring out different things in you. So like as an example, your, your best friend, if you're in a bad mood and you're seeing your best friend, then you're, you're in a good mood, right? You know, yes. you're, and the person you don't like, you dislike the most, you're in a good mood. You're like, oh, God, I have to see them. <laughs> you're, you're in a bad mood, right? And so it's not like there's like 100% set points here. Yeah, well, so, so this is what I was going to get into later on, which is I've, I've read something really interesting, which is the big five traits can actually be 
highly situation dependent. And so it's not enough to just say you're this, that, that, or the other. But mm. let's get into that in a minute. Let's just be really like you know obnoxiously generalizing here and just right. try and go with the over um, you know overall summary. Mm -hmm. So agreeableness, I would say Duncan is not agreeable. <laughs> but like, and but like it's, it's, it's in a good like, way. In a good way. <laughs> in a good way. It's not like okay. disagreeable equals argumentative. No, I just think okay. like if someone says something it. and. You, you will have an input on that and then you will be more willing to share that input rather than just be like, oh, let's just go with Joe says. Yeah, um, it can be positive sum about agreement or disagreements. It's not yeah. that, and I suppose like the talk about disagreeable, you know, talk stems as an example. I think I've, I've learned, hopefully I'm better at disagreeing than I was in the past. Yeah, and spoiler alert, you know, Mark Andreessen says entrepreneurs need to be highly disagreeable. <laughs> yeah. All right, so agreeableness, I'd say you're disagreeable. Conscientiousness, I would say you're highly conscientious. So, you know, as you kind of already proven for us, made the case. <laughs> uh, I'm big time. Yeah. Big, big time conscientious. Um, okay, so extroversion, I would put you as extroverted uh, just because you really do like to make sure that you make time for socializing in your week. And that's something that you don't, will yourself to doing like so much as other things but you you know you do get a lot of enjoyment out of it i can see how you would really enjoy just being able to you know work on your own um projects or just be able to chuck yourself away on a sunday and and write um but obviously if it was one or the other i'll put you an extra version but closer to the spectrum than agreeableness or um mm. uh, conscientiousness mm -hmm. all right the two hard ones um I guess no openness. I'd say easier. So I'd say you are more open than close. I would say you are someone who's actually looking for um, opportunity to uh, pursue, or someone who is actually you know willing to take on a challenge kind of thing, rather than just be closed off. So that mm. I would say is open. Mm. Um, all right. So the interesting one, neuroticism. Yeah. I I would say you are neurotic. <laughs> so what does that mean here? Right, so I say it's just you. So what it says here is prone to emotional instability. I don't think <laughs> I think fearlessness and shamelessness is this thing. Like I don't really right, uh, right. Well, yeah. like you get stressed a lot. I'll yeah, say. this is yeah, this is. I think this is true, and I think this is a product of my circumstance as opposed to an internal yeah. creation. Right. Yeah. Well, like it's the horse leading the cart here, right? So who's putting themselves in these situations so that they get stressed all the time? No, like some of these things I did not choose to be put in there. This is, this is yeah. just a turn of events that happens, so, you know, every now and then. Right. So I, so the other thing is like they're prone to getting upset, right? And I can I can probably just vouch for Duncan's that you've, you've gotten upset on numerous occasions and that not upset Very like... Mm, yeah. Sure. Um, but, you know, you... You would be I would consider one person neurotic if they get upset more than the general person does. And for me, I think that would be it. And again, that doesn't mean it's a negative quality, right? You know, people I think who get upset are more likely to change a situation that they don't want to be in or that they're not happy with than those who are just going to um, go along with the flow and just accept their fate or um, you know, a situation that they wouldn't otherwise want to be. So yeah, I would say you're more neurotic than than not. Like I don't know. What <laughs> I, don't, 
So I just give you this neuroticism. Like I think all else equal. Um, you know, when we started, like um, you know, Goldman Sachs, they would put me up the sort of very high end of risk taking in terms of trading. So, so much higher. So this is the fearlessness, shamelessness. Um, to me, there's the internal. So outcome is like internal state times external state. Um, and so where were you if you're in a similar amount of external state? Where do you plan? And I'd say that on average, I am able to deal with stress um, better than average or look for it, frankly. So you're looking for, you know, um, but if you're in like a hardcore stressful circumstance, it's just, you know, are you doing better than, you know, thing? So, so this extroversion, it's weird. I would have said I was quite extroverted as 20. And now I, because I don't have much energy um, because I've got, you know, work is so full on. I, I, I have really pulled it back. And, I, and, I, and the idea of like, for instance, as a 20 year old going on a holiday by myself for a week, and not talking because you know or going on a meditation retreat you know and not talking no phone i think it was like hell <laughs> and now um it's like great <laughs> um so I think, yeah. openness um i think i change my mind on things a lot but you know this is the whole andreessen firm beliefs held loosely agreeableness um i think i am not looking especially at work to agree i'm looking to do what's right and there are some people that seem much more agreeable um, and this can be annoying for them. Um, but this is, this is, um, we're not, this is not about trying to be friends. This is about trying to make a, a difference to prevent education and conscientiousness. I'm hard up that end. All right. What does Andreessen say about these things um, and what makes a good entrepreneur? All right. So what Andreessen said was he believed to be a successful entrepreneur is high extroversion, high in openness, and high in conscientiousness. He also said high in intelligence, which isn't a trait, but he would using that as one of the variables. He, in he this believes, thing. I think, that intelligence is more inherited. We talked about this, whatever, a couple podcasts ago. There's a spectrum mm. of like 100% inherited, 0% inherited. I'd say that 50 years ago, people thought on average it was 50% inherited. Now they think it's 25% inherited and it's going down. And in my opinion, it's going to trend to zero. Um, so this is just a confusing of correlation versus causation. Um, and so, yeah, but did he mention... Yeah openness so hey what is it did you mention he said high extroversion high openness high conscientiousness low neuroticism and low agreeableness yeah so he did mention all five yeah and what do you think so when he first said certain um points i found them surprising like when he said low and agreeableness i was surprised but then when he explains it and he explains them very well um it makes a lot of sense right so if you are a someone who's low in agreeableness then you are more likely to want to find something that doesn't exist and not yeah. take on board too many people who say that won't work or that's not a good idea yeah uh, and that to me kind of like defines the entrepreneurial journey um if i were to try and uh, imagine what one would be like so so that makes a lot of sense um high extroversion openness and conscientiousness so again kind conscientiousness i didn't pick but it when you think about it, oh, I would. While, <laughs> big time. Big time. <laughs> yeah, yeah of, of, of course you would, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I just think of my experience in, um, you know, working for startups, like it's chaos. It's just absolute chaos. And I wouldn't think conscientiousness would not come to mind in those moments. But um, in order for you to be able to make sense of the chaos, I think you need to bring structure in. And so someone with a high level of conscientiousness over time is able to tame that chaos into a into a business, I would think. 
Um, I don't know if you have a, a different way that you would describe it. Yeah, um, look, if I had to go through this, so, so this is a rubric. Do I believe that this, so is there a correlation um, that these things are heritable? Yes. Are there explainable causation metrics which mean that this is not heritable? You know, it is circumstantial. So in the case of intelligence based on mainly uh, IQ tests, I believe that there is a quantity difference that explains the differences in people's outcome. So there's a quantity difference between, for instance, the amount of work that kids from Asian outcomes do versus non-Asian outcomes if they're immigrants. There's a quantity difference between high, you know, cost schools and low cost schools on average in mm -hmm. Australia, the US, you know, wherever you want to, right? And that, that quantity difference explains the actual differences on these tests. Um, and so to me, I don't see an explainable thing so I am okay, you know, I don't call myself an expert in this area to, to think there are differences. And if I had to say these traits, would I think that there would be all else equal a benefit to being up certain ends of these things? Yes, I would. And would I agree with Andreessen? Yes, I would. <laughs> so like, <laughs> if you're, if you're, you know, fearlessness and other stuff. So there are some jobs that are just, I don't know. So being a teacher is an example, I think it'd be a great job can also not be a great job, but you know, you're, risk of not having a job next year is minimal, right? Whereas if you want to work in a startup, I'm going to argue it's some of the highest place because these are the least, you know, sort of like, um, I don't know. Um, not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, they're running cash flow negative. They're doing something that's never been done before. You're trying to figure out the stuff so that, you know, this is not like it is. Opposite. Extroversion, introversion. Um, I suppose that, and I think, you know, you're going to want to seek new things, you know, try to talk with new people, go around and stuff. So I'd say it's probably more better to be more extroverted than introverted. You're going around in this openness to new ideas versus closing. I mean, if you're doing something, so startups, I think, all, almost always have to have some part that's new that you know, there's no one's ever done before. Hopefully, not all of it, like you don't need to reinvent the wheel everywhere, but you do need to do something new. So, openness, yes, agreeableness. You're not trying to do things the way they've been done, you're trying to find a new way. You know, that whole Bird, George Bernard Shaw quote the reasonable person adapts themselves to the world, the unreasonable person adapts the world to them. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable person. And I think in startups, there's that and conscientiousness. Like perfectionism, workaholism, which is what I've got at one end of this, you know, um, I think uh, you, you want some people that are like, I don't know, so, so running a restaurant is an example. I think it's more like the vibe, the energy. It's kind of like in some respects a, a house or something like that, Joan, and you just want like this warm thing. Whereas in business, as an example, I would say you want to be <laughs> very, very, um, considered. So yeah, I would agree with him. Um, and I think that these things would help. Yeah. So I think, you know, caveat, we are not experts on these matters. These are just our own ignorant opinions. Mm. <laughs> but to your point, with what Andreessen laid out across the big five and entrepreneurs, I agree, I think, like, but on the majority of those points, what mm. I would want to question is, is, do I think that the, you know, the correlation coefficient of big five and entrepreneurial success be as high as other certain dimensions. Because I don't know if, like, I do think if you are, as he would describe, high in extroversion, openness, and conscientiousness, or low in neuroticism and agreeableness as well, I do think they would tilt the scale in your favor toward being a successful entrepreneur. But I believe there might actually be other dimensions, which interestingly, he does go through later on in the podcast, but he doesn't give it as much of a spotlight. 
um, as the beginning when he said, like, all right, well, let's use the big five to, uh, to describe this. Mm. And so if, if, you, if you will humor me, I can go through a couple of them now. And but let's start with intelligence, right? So intelligence, which doesn't really fit in with the big five, but he mentions intelligence. You need to be an intelligent person to be an entrepreneur. Like, I would say that has a higher correlation coefficient than the big five traits. I think if you were highly intelligent and low in extroversion, openness, and conscientiousness, I think you would have a better chance than the inverse. There's a couple of others. So one, I think, and I think Duncan's a great example of this, is grit, determination, and perseverance, right? So if you are someone who can actually you know, maintain, <laughs> what what is it? Getting punched in the face until you like the taste of your own blood. Yeah. <laughs> you have a much higher... I don't like it. <laughs> Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, go on. Then I think there's going to be a higher likelihood that you can be successful. Pain threshold. Thinking, about, yeah. thinking like a scientist. So low ego, ability to be agile and pivot. So Andreessen mm. said the great ones course correct or think in terms of hypotheses. So he mm. outlined that if you are someone who can actually see where the data is, is leading and head down that path and not start off with like well i'm the visionary i'm the one with the great idea we're all going yep. to follow this then i yep. think that also really does lend itself to um greater likelihood mm -hmm. I, do, I do think in a way you need to be a visionary i think you do need to be able to have a idea of what you of the world you want to create you, having an idea at least of what the opportunity space is it doesn't have to be the final solution but mm. it, it's got to start leading somewhere preparation so this i think maybe fall under conscientiousness but he talks about the idea maze or understanding the problem first and planning did he did he use the word the idea maze yeah this is because like um i'm a big fan of westworld um and just re-watching parts of it again um with a new person um and the maze is not made for you um is a really good analogy that I think, I hope I'm not about to ruin this. If you've never watched season one of Westworld, stop, stop, stop listening now if you want to watch it. <laughs> but it's, a, it's about building minds, right, to me, um, mm. and how you level up. And I, I, I mentioned the Keegan model, you know, um, so the socialized mind, self-authoring, self-transforming. And I think that the, what is Westworld in some respects is a system to get people out of socialized mind to self-authoring. It's like, how do you get that? And humans can do that as well as non-humans. Um, and so it's amazing. According to Westworld. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I think unless it's against the laws of physics, um, then it can, you know, be done. And so to me, is it technically possible that we can recreate human minds? For sure, you know. Yeah. Um, and then can we upgrade the things? This is what, like, convinced me, or oh, this is getting slightly off track. You know, The Singularity is Near, which is Ray Kurzweil's book on artificial intelligence, I think came out 10 years ago or, or more, um, more, uh, 15 years ago. Um, <clears throat> basically says that we will reverse engineer the mind uh, this is and it convinced me that we will so it's like well if we can do that then we can recreate a mind and then it's like well can we also do upgrades to it it's like yeah we can <laughs> you know it's like can you know for instance we do like a few calculations a second whereas they're doing billions and trillions of them now uh, but we do massively parallel so it's like well if we just get exactly the same structure where we upgrade parts then we're going to be better I'm like, yeah okay so it's, it's inevitable that we're going to get artificial intelligence like it's it, to me how you get to it that, that's a good question i don't know one of them is just reverse engineering the human mind exactly <laughs> yeah but, but then you can also do upgrades to it um so anyways sorry keep going guys okay so uh three more 
mm. agency. So this might also fall under conscientious. I do think it kind of stands outside of it, which is really just the ability to get shit done. Agency. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, your definition of agency. He used the word agency, and your is, is that I what you're I, using? No, I don't think he used it. I think this is one of the when I sat down and thought to myself, what do I think? Explain oh. to good entrepreneur. I thought of agency and the way I describe agency is someone who is self-directed and gets shit done. So you could, you could pull this into here. And so like, therefore it's, it's agreeableness. So they've got like low agreeableness, right? Mm. And then they've got high openness to new ideas. So if you are happy to disagree, but you're also open to new ideas, then you, you might have the recipe for high agency. Mm. And so this is like joining these things together. Um, all right, quickly. So let's, um, yeah, get well, like, so, so like you, you, your model that, well, the model that you've shared in the past, which is problem solution, how execution, right? If that execution, that. That no, no, you didn't. Uh, and yeah, um, yeah. You, you it's that execution layer, right? You know, nothing yeah. else matters if you can't execute. And yeah. so that's why I think like as an entrepreneur, you're your own boss. You don't have someone talking to you every day saying like, Duncan, where is this? You need to get this done. It's like, no, yeah. you have to will. Like, this is like one of the challenges of being a parent. It's like, you don't have someone telling you that you need to get up and wake the kids up and get them ready for school and make sure they're doing your homework. It's like, no, that's you. You've got to be the one who's actually making all of this stuff happen. You're like, oh, God. Yeah. And the last um, one. Oh, no, I've got two more. Um, internally motivated. I'll, I'll just leave that there. But ruthlessness. So, this is where Andreessen mentioned putting success of the company above any one person, including yourself. And mm. so the, the, the willingness to be ruthless, which I think does qualify here because there's a lot of times when you're going through building a company, I can imagine, where you, know, you either need to make very hard decisions for the sake of the company over any one individual. And I would say there are certain people who are just not up for that. They might be high extroversion, high in uh, intelligence, low in agreeableness and all of these other things, but if they're not willing to be ruthless, I don't know if that um, is a good formula for success if you want to be mm. an entrepreneur. Right, so where, we wanted to get, where I wanted to get to next is like, um, is this a good recipe for things, you know? I think, yeah, all else equal, um, what Andreessen has said here, I do think is probably likely to be better than not. Mm -hmm. um, for an average person, according to the stats, you know, 50%. But if you want to be great at something, um, you can build yourself. And so this is the, uh, and I'll link to a blog that I wrote. So you are the outcome of three things, your biological starting point, the nurture, which is the upgrades that the people around you have done. So like, for instance, school, your family, your friends, um, and then self-authoring, upgrades you've done to yourself. And the percentage of you that is self-authored or upgraded yourself can go up over time if you're talking about an intellectual perspective your ability to for instance get stronger and do more bench press may probably have like an asymptote you know um whereas your mind's ability to to grow or neuroplasticity there isn't known limits um <clears throat> and so you can um move from what you know might at birth be 80 90 percent set point of you know whatever conscientiousness through to 50 percent as an average person through to 10, 20%, you know, of, of what it is in you if you've done a lot of work. But yeah, I do think this is all also likely to help. But I don't think that that means that these people become entrepreneurs and other ones don't. Um, 
so in my experience, I have seen people, I'm not going to name names because I think they'll get annoyed. So it's going to, you know, um, that are like, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, lucky to know quite a few entrepreneurs or unlucky, whichever way you want to do it. You know, <laughs> I'm reasonably part of the, the entrepreneurial scene um, in Melbourne as an example. Um, <clears throat> that are definitely, you know, conscientious opposite <laughs> of what Andreessen would say, you know, agreeableness opposite of what Andreessen would say, right? But in my opinion, I mean, it's not least, you know, are accomplished entrepreneurs. Um, and so what, what does this kind of mean? Um, if I was looking at this, um, I was looking to do a startup. <laughs> and I was thought, you know, with late 20s, male, single, no mortgage, um, that I had no obligations or, you know, for the rest of my life, so I could afford to devote all of it at that time to a startup. And I thought that made sense because I presumed when I was my age, I'd have kids and a mortgage and all that other jazz. Um, and that I therefore wouldn't be able to financially and time-wise to devote anything, but I still am <laughs> in a different story, different day. Um, and so to me, I suppose a, a bigger thing is like, I now tell people and myself that I wouldn't work on a problem that you didn't have a strong identity with. So that you have personally empathized with the um, you know, problem that doesn't mean you know the solution. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert in that space. Mm -hmm. um, and now, and also when I started at Rollo, that was not what we did. Like point blank, it's just not what I did. So, you know, I suppose I'm giving advice to myself that'd be different because there, there is a lot of hardness in a startup to me. Um, and unless you're wanting to go through that and it can be worth it, like I think parenting, there's a lot of hard times, but sometimes sacrificing, you know, caring about something and doing hard work means that you feel it's worth it. Um, and so I'm sure that there are certain people's entrepreneurial journeys. I'm yet to encounter most of them. There are sunshine, rainbows, and everything just is easy, right? Um, <laughs> not my experience. <laughs> There's a series of problems, one after the other. And as soon as you solve one, the problems never end. And you're doing problems you don't know how to solve. Um, and so you're effectively incompetent, right? And you're slowly trying to improve your competence faster than the rate of the problem taking down the business, right? Yeah. And yeah. so if you want to do a never ending series of new problems where you are almost always incompetent, you're going from incompetent to competent. And as soon as you get good enough, you scale that to go to the new one and go to the next problem where you're incompetent. Welcome to startups, baby. <laughs> it's <probably, laughs> you know? um, And so I've seen people who I deem as very, very successful entrepreneurs. And you can measure that by like, I don't know, how much valuation their business is not the only value, you know, how much of an improvement that is to, to society which I don't think meet these things. And I think that they got into this mainly because there was a problem they wanted to solve. And so it's worth it. So are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to you know, deal with the, the you know, tough things? Like if you want an easy job, don't do startups. But if you want a hard job that can be the most rewarding job possible, possibly, you know, okay, consider it. So in other words, I don't think it's the most important thing. I think these things are helpful, but that it's more important that you found a problem that you want to work with. And sometimes you also have a good insight into the solution. Um, yeah. You don't have to, you can figure it out. So to me, I suppose when it got to it, I was like, yeah, I think this helps. Yeah, but so I th the most important. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I, I think the, the the idea you touched on, which is like, it's an area that you personally care about, I think is a very important one. Mm. Uh, you know, to your point, which is, if you're going to be faced with punches to the face on a daily basis, it, it would behoove you to actually care about this enough to take those punches. Mm. And if, if, it, if it's not, then I don't know if it's as likely that you will have the, the stamina and the perseverance to go through all of that. Something I've been reading about, um, you know, on occasion is the idea that a lot of people, you know, 
you know, the one idea that entrepreneurialism, Silicon Valley technology, tech startup are the new, you know, investment banking of the 80s and 90s kind of thing. And it's where a lot of a lot of the attention, a lot of the, um, you know, the successful graduates go to out of university or college. And the whole idea of pervasive is like it is a great way to make money. At least this is what um, the concept is. And what this person writes about is if you want to be wealthy, if you want to make money, don't do a startup. And it's basically the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the likelihood or the chance that you're actually going to be successful in a startup is way lower than going to a very well, well-renowned well uh, tech company like a Google or Facebook and being able to ride through those ranks and, and earn money that way. And the, the I guess the premise is that you don't, if you want to be super wealthy, don't do a startup. But if you want to solve a real problem that you care about, then doing a new startup is a great idea. Mm. And and I think it's the last point, which is to, you know, to use the example of when you're young and you don't have any responsibility versus when you're much older and you weighed down by a few more things. I think you all, like, the, the, the premise I've been given is you almost don't want to expect your first startup to be your only startup. Like, if by the time you've done your second or third venture, are you actually at a point where, as you kind of point out, you're competent enough to know what the kind of problems you go through to be able to build a, a long-standing, successful venture? Now, some people, like um, like Duncan, can do pretty well on their first try. But I think the idea is, you know, it's kind of like Jay-Z. If you can't afford it twice, don't buy it. If you can't afford <laughs> to do it... <laughs> no, no, that, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the idea is if you can't afford to do two startups, yeah. don't try it. Don't even bother starting one. Yeah, um, I suppose the point where it's got to is like, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. So my um, more sort of general view on the world is built, not bored, just as a general approach. And mm. it's like, what do I want to build myself today in a direction? And so sometimes it's, it's oversimplification. There's three types of time. There's chilling, right? Then there's building yourself to have new skills. And then there's building others and or a company because a company is a collection of others normally right mm-hmm. um or you know you're building like a, a product to, to build some skills but the, the product is sort of a company right so there's sort of three areas and to me it's like okay well i need to learn more about education or i need to learn more about thinking about the frameworks that people use to sell products you know because just because you build a product doesn't mean that you're going to be able to sell it well do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and you know it, it's a it role is mainly enterprise sales and so you think about this one of the products like push pull anxiety uh, inertia, you know, these are the four major forces of selling a product and thinking about, well, which products have sold well in the past and why, and which products can sell well in the future. And so, you know, to me, one of the differences between someone who's competent and someone who's not competent, if you look at um, Dreyfus taxonomy, is that they've got frameworks for that area of the world. Uh, and almost all areas, so all areas that I can think of have frameworks. Um, and if you don't know them, you're probably not very good at that area. But I didn't know that from school because I was just kind of like, oh, someone who spent a lot of hours. I did 10,000 hours. I'm like, not all hours are equal, buddy. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you need to, like, first of all, learn, like, find out how to stand on shoulders of those that come before. Well, where, whose shoulders? I'm like, good question. <laughs> Go figure it out. Don't reinvent the wheel, you know? Um, so anyways, um, yeah, I think it probably um, helps with some of these things. And I do think there are starting point differences. But... And so the next one is like, well, do we want more entrepreneurs? Um, and you can see some examples. So like 
one measure is what is the amount of venture capital spent per capita in a country? So all else equal, if they're deploying more venture capital, you would argue there's more startup activity occurring than not. And then another one is like the portion of companies listed either in their stock exchange or other people's stock exchanges that are from people in that, you know, the, you know, whatever, citizens of a country. So, you know, the, the famous, most famous example kind of being Israel, going from nothing to being very, very, very strong, right? Um, I think the strongest on a per capita basis, but not as strong as an example as California. So if you took California as a country, um, which, you know, obviously it is, but it's not just, just the Bay Area, we're talking about California writ large, you know, um, then I understand that it has a higher um, venture capital per capita than Israel. Those numbers are stale. I'm sorry if they're wrong. <laughs> um, so anyways, you can have this. And I'm like, well, is that good? And people would say that all else equal a country that is, so there's two ways to be wealthy. One is to inherit money. And so as Australia, we inherited a lot of resources, you know, and two is to make a lot of money, right? <laughs> to build businesses. And all else equal, it's better to be wealthy than poor. Um, and so to me, um, the other one is that the jobs that are, that are repetitive through, you know, mental or physical repetitive are being replaced by machines. So you're not going to have a job unless you're doing something non-repetitive. And some of those things are being a teacher because it can be non-repetitive. Actually, you can just do the same thing. So I think teaching is one of a job where you can be an innovator 100% time, just 0% innovation, <laughs> but also startups. And so, so all else equal, new businesses equals more value creation. Um, and that means that the world gets better. You know, we have rising living standards because productivity in increases. We have better healthcare, we have better education, we have whatever. And so I'm going to argue that, yes, on average, we want more entrepreneurs than less. And there's the countries that people want to go to are all else equal the wealthiest countries because you can afford the most benefits at the highest minimum wage and the, the most health care and, and the best, you know, education or whatever, right? And so, yeah, I do think we want entrepreneurs. Um, and no, more than that, the jobs that are not, you know, repetitive are going away. Um, so, yeah, I do think it's, it's important and we can have more and that, that there's not like a certain set of people, like, oh, a third of people are predetermined to be better entrepreneurs than the other two thirds. And so therefore, the other two thirds shouldn't be. We don't need everyone being an entrepreneur, but we kind of want more. And so these things are perhaps helpful, but all else equal, far less importance. Like if you're living in whatever, Afghanistan as a female, you don't get to go to school under the Taliban, which is shocking, right? So the chance of you starting an, a, a startup is pretty low, you know? <laughs> um, and, but if you're like happen to live in California, that's probably better than happen to live in Victoria, you know, Australia. Um, so yeah, sorry, it's too much, too long, James. Over to you. <laughs> yeah. So all all else equal for me is the numbers game, and um, you know, Andreessen says himself, progress is dependent on people who do new things, and mm -hmm. the the entrepreneurial journey I think is a lot like uh, the scientific process, which is you don't start with mm -hmm. an end goal in mind that you have a a, a, a roadmap or a pathway. Uh, of defined pathway to go towards, you set up with a whole bunch of hypotheses and then you run experiment and you discard the ones that don't work and then you move towards the ones that do work. And if you, you know, you, you look at stats like, you know, Airbnb, they run experiments all the time and 90 plus percent of them turn out to be wrong. I see the- you know that number? Like if someone from inside Airbnb, like Letty or whatever said that. Yeah. Cause that's, that's fair. Cause like, I used to think that 50% of my experiments would be good and bad. And then no way near 50%. <laughs> Oh, yeah. right and yeah. i'm like am i particularly bad at this or so because airbnb you know a, a great company okay 90 percent. yeah yeah okay. seriously and but like you think about that you 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 lay that on top of the startup um landscape which is 90 plus percent of startups fail and if you think about the idea well if you just add more into the top of the funnel then 
hopefully that percentage doesn't drop even further but then you can you can try and think it at least there's more people trying to run experiments on ways to improve the world and what i really love is uh andreessen's self-proclaimed controversial uh definition of the martyrs of civilizational progress and uh where did it? i've lost it so he talks about it's a package deal it's it's not that you're going to find people who want to build new things it's about sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're crucified to use his words so it's not about a bad person did a bad thing but a kind of person who wants to do great things so something new and then take on an extended level of risk and it takes a certain kind of behavior or set of traits and temperament for want them to fly too close to the sun so he's talked about this idea that we see people who are either successful in uh in their ventures or they are to a point like a sam bankman freed and then suddenly it just crashes and burns gloriously and he tried to make the the case that we actually still need people like this to kind of help draw the map for everyone else to say like okay so this is what happens when you go a little bit too close to the sun versus if you want to try this out you've got to be able to willing to take on an extended level of risk so he calls them masters of civilizational progress mm. okay um so i suppose the net point is I think over the long run, so maybe are we doing summaries or no, we've got like a thing. Maybe we just do summaries now. We're going to um, that these things all else equal do look like they would be more helpful than not helpful in the trait of an entrepreneur. Do we want more entrepreneurs all else equal? Yes. In my opinion, um, will there be some point where we have too many entrepreneurs? Maybe. Um, but, you know, if we are able to improve technology to the point where it's able to do anything so that, you know, there's outcome is plan times execution and any execution can be done by the machines. So therefore, planning is the only thing that humans need to do. You can do execution, but it's, it's optional. Then I suppose, theoretically, you could have 100% entrepreneurs and society functioning. So there's not like at some point where it breaks, do you know what I mean? Um, but that doesn't mean they should be. Um, but that overall... Um, I think, you know, they, they talk about entrepreneurial journeys being 10 years. Um, and at the start, because I'd never done anything for 10 years, and now this has been 11 years. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, oh, that is an insanely long amount of time. Surely you could accomplish more than that. And I'm like, oh, you know, the good ones, are, um, you know, 10 years, I think it's a reasonable thing. You look at the companies, and yeah, they've all taken 10 years. So why would you be able to do more in less on average? You should probably presume that you can't. Um, and so to me, to, to make a big difference, you need to spend a lot of time trying to make a big difference you need to you need to be pushing yourself forward right and so you need to go from like i don't know much about education to hopefully i know a lot about education so i don't know much about sales hopefully i know a lot about sales i don't know much about product hopefully i know a lot about product to whatever it is right um and so i think that in the areas you want to get good at not all of them your self-authoring is going to be significant majority hopefully like 80 90 percent of you is self-authored and 10 20 percent is start biological starting point and nurture from around. Um, and so that what this means is anybody can be an entrepreneur if they want to be. So not almost anybody, you know, the, the sort of bowler thing, 5% of people have a biological impediment that's hard to overcome. So hardcore ASD, hardcore dyslexia, are some of the ones they do. But for the other 95% of people, your starting points are effectively irrelevant versus the upgrades that you do. Um, and I think that, that is a much better model to run the world, to look at the world through. And then I suppose the other thing, so to me, 
what I'm trying to get to is, yeah, there might be some common traits if you're looking at this, but that ultimately the commonality is far less important than the self-authoring that people have done. And one of the things which they say isn't inherited is work ethic. Um, this is built, you know? And so as an example, if you take a kid from a school where they're not paying much attention, they're not doing homework and you put them in a school where they are, guess what? Their homework goes up. If you take kids from families where there isn't a strong academic culture and you put them in ones where they are, guess they have the same academic culture as the, the ones, the adopted family, right? Uh, and so to me, this is kind of what I was getting to. It's like these things are far less important than the work that you've done. And normally you're willing to do the work if you if you care about it. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, the safest path to, to having $10 million is to go and work in finance. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure that this is the best path to initially improving the world. If you want to improve the world, the most probably the safest part is to go work at a startup that is working on something that you, because your, your you know, um, value per time, unit of time is very higher. But if you want to do something that's not being done before and help, then probably startups. And probably the, the most safest path to being a billionaire is a startup, is an entrepreneur. But it's, it's not high confidence, buddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, you, oh, you will definitely be a billionaire. <laughs> Whereas I, I'd say that there's like, if you work at it, in finance, you probably can get to 10 mil. Um, I'd say there's a reasonable chance, like 50% of you will get there. But to be a billionaire, like 0.001%, I, I didn't make that number up, like, I, you know, it's, it's not it's not given, but you know, you, it's, it's almost impossible to be a billionaire any other way except through a startup. So anyways, net thing um, is that the starting points are helpful, but are ultimately, in my opinion, deeply subservient or less important than the work that you have done. All right. So starting off, we're talking about uh, a conversation between Huberman and Andreessen on what makes a good entrepreneur. And Andreessen deploys the big five personality traits. So well-known in the psychological, psychological literature, mm -hmm. uh, the big five, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So what Andreessen explains in terms of what makes a good entrepreneur, you've got to be high in extroversion, you've got to be high in openness, you've got to have high conscientiousness, high intelligence, which is not a trait, and low neuroticism and low in agreeableness. Now, if I were sitting in a room full of 20-year-olds who self-professed the opposite of all of those traits, but they are there with a fervent desire to you know, build something out of a problem that they you know, care about, do I think that they should not be an entrepreneur? No, I think they should still, if they want to, go down that path. For me, while there, there may well be a correlation to these particular traits and the likelihood of success, I don't think they should set themselves apart as a deciding factor or a, a, a key determinant on whether or not entre you are someone who would write for entrepreneurialism or to start a startup. Mm -hmm. I, I, I honestly think that if you can have an honest appraisal of yourself in terms of your level of grit, your ability to put aside your ego and think more like a scientist. Um, if you do have a strong vision that you believe in and that you can get other people to want to come on that journey with you, if you have the um, ability to prepare, if you do have high agency, which is um, what you were saying earlier about you know getting shit done, and you're willing to be ruthless about it, and you're at a point in your journey where you can see that you can afford to do two startups, even though everyone only ever wants to have to do one, then I think 
No, I think he's up to the right. Thank you. No, no, no down by to the right. That's all I ask. You know? Yeah. Then I think those have a far higher weighting on um, your success, your journey as a, as an entrepreneur. And I would think I would counsel that those things um, are you know worth worth considering more in such a way. And to to a, to a degree, I think that you can actually author yourself. So I wouldn't worry about a heck of a degree to to do to a vast majority would be my two cents. Well, I, I'm just being diplomatic here, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not like yeah. To a lot of work, you can accomplish a lot. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. not much work, you can't accomplish much. But uh, yeah, I would say at the end of the day, this this idea that you talk about being constantly incompetent until you get to a point where you're moving on to the next problem, and then you're incompetent about that, and so you get to a stage where you suddenly you know something about product, you know something about leadership, you know something about all of this. But I would also say, well, if you stuck it out for ten years, you know something about running a startup. <laughs> I know mean, more and, than I used to. Not enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that would significantly increase the likelihood of success of, a, of, a, of a, an additional venture if you chose to take one. So mm. for me, I think Big Five Traits is a good rubric, but I don't think you should take that to heart if mm. you don't think that they're the high um, alignment with what Andreessen describes. I think there are other factors that are more important. That's where you are in your life, what you're willing to take on, um, and your willingness to... I, you know, persevere and work hard throughout all of the challenges that are going to come your way. Yep, great. M maybe I know we're not meant to do double conclusions. <laughs> um, double jeopardy. Double. Um, I I feel like if I was doing this, I would have said, okay, look, let's just talk about the things that people talk about being heritable, and do we think that they matter? Like, yes. Or they'll say, well, there there is probably some part of these which is a better mix than not, but that. You know, we're going to talk about this being 10, 20 percent of of the the equation of of it sort of being you know the overall outcome, and so ultimately, maybe helpful, but also certainly not some sort of deal maker or deal breaker um, of things. Um, and I don't know that Andreessen characterised it that way. Um, it was more here are the traits that they blah, blah blah, and I feel that the standard interpretation of some of these things is well, you either have them or you don't, and this is this sort of fixed mindset thing. And to me. Um, I think that a better sort of lens is no, your mind is able to be upgraded and changed. And that doesn't mean that, you know, and so ultimately don't worry too much about where you happen to be born on these things, worry more about where you want to build yourself to be. Um, and yeah, you, hopefully you're doing most of these things for the good of the world and, you know, internal things, as opposed to like, you need some external validated scorecard and doing a startup is like glamorous. Um, it's not glamorous from my experience. <laughs> 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 so, so, yeah. All right, dude. Thanks a lot. Speak to you Just soon. Take it. Bye.